Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking. Hi, and welcome to the 271st episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton of K Barton Tools, and I'm here with my co-host, Yami Plotke of the Penultimate Woodshop and Sean Wisniewski of the Corner Workshop. Tonight, we're visiting with accomplished woodworker, instructor, woodworking content creator, and longtime friend of the show, Bob Rosowski. And hopefully I got your last name correct, but welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> I, I always said Rosowski. Is it Rosowski? Yeah, it, it's... So it's it's Rosieski, uh, Rosieski. Um, okay, but it doesn't matter. I've heard uh, I've heard <laughs> just about every every mispronunciation you can imagine. So, so I can imagine. Um, there are, there are honestly, I think it's probably there. not spelled right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've uh, I, I I honestly think it's probably not spelled right. And somewhere along the line, when my ancestors came over, um, somebody screwed something up. Trans, uh, translating the name, and uh, I think that I in the middle probably should be a J. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I've actually talked to a few folks from from Poland who think like they're that should be a J, and maybe there might be a W in there missing somewhere. So, but <laughs> yeah, somewhere yeah. along the line, it got messed up, and yeah, and then so that's what we're be, going with. You'd be Rosaszewski, which would be much more Polish. Rosaszewski, right? If, if right. you did it the way you described yep. it, yeah. As as a Vishnesky exactly. with my mother was at Nidkevich, I totally get it. <sighs> okay. Yep. Yes, we should have left on do the intro on this one. <laughs> <laughs> nah, 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 nah. But uh, but anyway, well, let's get into the show and 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 uh, welcome again, Bob. So, first off, we're gonna talk about things that uh, piqued our interest over the past couple of weeks. So. Um, I guess I'll start off. First of all, uh, registration is open for Fine Woodworking Live 2020. Ah, diggity. Yes. So I'm registered. What are the dates? It's the, the same date. weekend as the uh, Texas Woodworking Festival. I could not yes, tell you what is. weekend it is, but I know that. And I'll, yes. I'm going to go out and say, oh, my God, it's the weekend before the Glass City Marathon this year. There you go. So there you go. If you so jog we'll, we'll to, you there. If you jog to Massachusetts, that's perfect warm up for the marathon. Yeah. Wow. All right. Got to think about that. Yeah, April 17th and 19th of 2020. Yeah. Or Southbridge, Massachusetts. So Right right after tax day. So register now, do your taxes later. Exactly. Exactly. Do your taxes now and there's your refund. Or that. There you go. But uh, they got a lot of folks coming in, so it looks like it's going to be a good time. A lot of uh, looks like they got a a good group of people that are continuing to uh, come and do um, lectures, and they always add in a couple of a new new folks. So uh, looks to be a fun time. Excellent. And Roy Underhill is going to be there. I had oh. seen that. Yes, he's given the keynote, I believe, as well as um, uh, doing a uh, seminar. That's almost worth the price of admission. Yes, yes, it, yes, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> having having attended a few of his uh, talks before, and seeing his TED talk online, that's uh, 
that's a good one. Yes. Um, let's see. His keynote is Subversive Woodworking, The Diary of a Mad Housewright. <laughs> so. Always creative. You can only imagine what that's going to be like. But, uh, yeah, so that looks to be a, uh, a great time. So if you haven't, go out there and register. And I'd suggest you register soon because there are limited spots. And even more so, there's limited rooms in the um, conference center that they have this is. And that's a fantastic conference center, too. So... And then the um, the other thing I had was um, another one-time tool from Woodpeckers. We always like to highlight these when they're of interest. And this one, I think, was a one-time tool a couple years ago, and they brought it back. And it is uh, bevel squares and uh, angle reference plates. So these are uh, bevel squares to be used in uh, bevel work. And... I have not played with them, but knowing woodpeckers, they should be exceptional. Um, They're right in line with, you know, um, most of the, you know, I would say top line, top tier uh, bevel squares. If I remember, they had these at the Woodworking America in Kansas City. I believe so. It was it was. It was somewhere around there because I did. I already had some of the. um, Um. why am I skipping on this guy's name? Uh, Australian uh, woodwork. Uh, Vesper. Vesper. I always Vesper. I already Chris have Vesper. two. Yeah, I already have two of his bevel squares, so I didn't need any. But I did buy their angle reference plate, which is kind of expensive. It's forty five bucks, but it is very nice. Not, and, not to call her yeah. out, but I'm pretty sure in Kansas City, Ali bought one of these and then walked next door to the Vesper booth. And walked back to Woodpecker's, canceled the order, and then bought one of, one of Chris's. <laughs> well, Chris's are, they look a lot nicer. I mean, this is your standard um, stainless steel machined aluminum. Yeah. And, you know, Chris's, Chris Vesper, you know, he has the wooden inlays, and they are a little bit more upscale as far as that goes, appearance-wise. But uh, and then of course you know Bruce Bruce, Bruce is making some nice uh, bevel squares too. So oh that's right I forgot that he yeah. got into that. He's making all sorts of things now. Yeah yeah and they're now owned by Woodpeckers so oh the, yes yeah but they've yeah. started making the the bevels before that right the Woodpeckers acquisition oh yeah was yeah 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 Woodpeckers bought them uh, well I don't know bought them out is is the right thing but they uh, they're working together let's put it that way under one umbrella. And um, I think that happened a few months ago. But, yeah, so so that's mm. interesting. I think at some point, I think their manufacturing is still separate, but I think at some point it's going to be uh, more integrated. I would, I would assume so. Why not gain that efficiency if you could? Yeah. It, yeah, I mean, you're, if, if they're doing the metal work, if, if Woodpecker's yeah. doing the metal work and Dave's going to do the handle work, you know, there's just a shipping between, what, Cleveland and Washington yeah, and I think they're going to try to integrate some of the shops too. And like, from what I've read, and I could be totally wrong here, but yeah, keeping more of the metal aluminum type fabrication with woodpeckers and more of the mm-hmm. wood handle type fabrication. Yeah, it'll be uh, with interesting Bruce, blend. Yeah, yeah. but I'll always liked what Mister Jeske brings out. Oh yes, oh yes. Yes, I have quite a few of his stuff. I think I have all of his mallets. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have one. I have one too. <laughs> Just one. 
Yo, uh, Diami, you lost one. I did. Or, well, yes, I, I, one, I, there was a, one was one was taken. There was a time that I owned two of his mallets, and uh, the TSA took one. Until TSA, yeah. Oh man, because that's a weapon if you hold it right. <laughs> well, you know? yeah. Had I actually given it a moment's thought, I would not have tried to carry it on. But it mm-hmm. just it didn't even occur to me. Like they pull, they're pulling it out of my bag. They're like, "What's this?" I was like, "Oh, it's just a mallet." And like it just it was so far. <laughs> I was I was not paying attention. <laughs> mm. Oh. Mm. And I guess next up for us all to chime in to uh, pat ourselves on the back is we did make uh, Pop Woodworking's uh, top five woodworking podcasts. Damn straight. That's right. <laughs> so, and and Bob, um, in the comments on this article, yours was mentioned. So, <laughs> so oh, how about that? Yeah, exactly. They mentioned, hey, I know Bob uh, stopped doing his podcast, but he's still, you know, uh, curating all that content. You can get to it. So, yeah. There you go. Uh, so, uh, so that's good. Was that so, on their blog? I, I didn't see that. Yeah. Well, it's not on their blog. It's in the comments. Yeah. Um, people said, no, you know, I mean the, the, um, the article. Yeah. The article for top five that was, yeah. that was on, yeah, uh, on the website, on their blog. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, so we can pat ourselves on the back and, uh, that was, that was nice of the, of the folks, uh, there at Popwood to, uh, to rec- to recommend us to the reader. So, uh, absolutely. Well, we appreciate that. Well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Well-deserved boys. Well-deserved. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You, you flatter well, us. I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, yeah. uh, but so with that, let's uh, move on to what's in the shop. So, uh, Diami, besides uh, Boy Scouts Adventures, what have you uh, been doing in the shop? Um, uh, Boy Scout stuff. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the, uh, the, the Cub Scouts highest rank is uh, called the Arrow of Light. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and you're the arrow of darkness. I am. That is the, <laughs> <laughs> the official term. Yeah. It's uh, the the logo for it is a, an arrow with like an arch across the top and some rays coming out. It looks kind of like the sun coming up over an arrow. Um, mm-hmm. It's a fairly f- simple, almost like stick figurey type logo. Um, mm-hmm. And in the ceremony, there's three candles. So at the one we did last year which is when my youngest son uh, essentially graduated from Cub Scouts into Boy Scouts. Um, we just had a log with three holes drilled in it. We put the candles in. So last February, February, I don't know, whenever we did the ceremony last year, it's probably earlier than February, I grabbed the log. I'm like, well, I could actually put the logo into this. Let me take care of that for you guys. And it's been sitting in my shop since then. Mm. Um, mm. So they're doing the Arrow of Light ceremony tomorrow as we record this. <laughs> um, and on two, uh, last night, well, I had I'm a meeting. I'm not surprised by any of this. Yeah. But anyway, go on. <laughs> last night, I had a meeting with uh, with the Cubmaster. We were at a, at, a, um, at a district meeting. So on Monday night, in preparation for seeing the Cubmaster on Tuesday night, I actually took the time to do it. So I quickly drew the pattern out on the side of the log with a pencil. I hit it with a Sharpie. Then I took um, my cordless die grinder with a power carving bit in it and in like three minutes just quickly uh, ground it out. And then I took uh, some enamel yellow paint and painted the inside. And voila, we had um, we had the logo on, um, on this log. So 
it was a, it was kind of rewarding and it was nice. It was just one of these things where it was like a 15 minute project that had sat mm-hmm. in my shop for a year. So <laughs> it was nice to just get it done and out of the shop and it's gone now. So, um, that's really the only active thing I've done in the shop since, uh, since I last was able to join you guys though. I, um, the fence is almost done. I know that's a project I've mentioned here. Uh, my mm-hmm. gates are finished. I just need to cut the posts uh, down b- behind the fence because they're all, they were all you know long, and then then the gate will essentially be done. And of course, I'm recording using the top slab of the entertainment center as my desk. Um, but Still. that being said, uh, on Friday I'm getting two sheets of MDF delivered to the house so I can make a new fireplace mantle. <laughs> Oh, fantastic. You're making um, a mantle out of MDF? Yeah. Okay. I don't actually use the fireplace. I'm a, I'm a... Oh, it's one of those decorative put a candle in it. It's a real fireplace, fireplace that I don't put real fires in. Got it. Uh, but <laughs> All right. there, it, had a te- it had a terrible, terrible mantle on it when we bought the house 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. So the like in the process of painting the house and moving in, I threw the old mantle out. So I've not had a mantle for 14 years. Wow. Um, so, so is this mantle just going to be a painted piece, or are you going to? Yeah, that's why something? I'm making it out of MDF because okay. it'll be painted, okay. and it's going to match. It's going to match the interior trim on uh, on the bay window we have in the living room, which is a. It's a, craftsman-y style, trim. So mm-hmm. the the header of the window trim, is. There's a horizontal piece that's five quarter okay. and then there's a vertical piece of, of one by but it doesn't really matter what it is it's 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 about um about five inches and then there's mm-hmm. another piece at the bottom that's a quarter inch thick so it's this nice thick piece at the top that sticks out proud then a flat piece and then a thin piece at the bottom and there's an article probably 15 20 year old article in fine home building about how to make that trim and what the proportion should be um, oh cool so I'm basically going to mimic that yeah. out of the MDF. And because it's it's going to match the trim in the living room, it's going to be painted white. So I needed the top to be a, pr- a full one inch thick, not three quarters. I needed the mm-hmm. bottom to be a quarter inch. And the vertical section doesn't matter. So if I, I'm buying two four by eight sheets, and I can, I'll have enough of the, the full one inch stuff to make the, the rest of it out of it. Um, so that's why I was doing MDF. Because as I was going through the different materials and my options for that thickness, and I need it to be like 14 inches wide at the top. So to get a, get a material that's an inch thick and 14 inches wide and hmm. easy to paint and stuff, to do it out of real wood was going to be prohibitively expensive. And when it's all done and painted, you won't know what it's made out of. So that's, that's right. what led me down the MDF route. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Well, well for about, me... Yeah. Oh, how about you? Uh, how about me? Okay. Yeah, how about you? <laughs> well, I finally got uh, my boring jig prototypes uh, done and uh, sent out to a couple of chair makers for them to uh, do some more testing on. So um, with that, um, it's kind of quiet in the shop, but um, I'm thinking about things that need to get done. And one of those is Christmas presents. Oh, my God. It's yeah, time unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, several, well, I guess almost a decade now, I've been making Christmas presents for families and friends. So it's become a tradition. So now I got to think about something to make. Um, and that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm trying to decide what project I'm leaning towards doing just a simple um, lidded box, a turned lidded box. Turned, um, okay. 
Yeah, but I went down into my uh, shop and looked at what kind of scraps I had laying around, and I have nothing that will make four-turn littered boxes. So now I'm thinking about doing a segmented box. And then I went, that's more complicated. Maybe mm-hmm. I should just do a segmented bowl. So we'll see where, <laughs> where I land there. Um, oh, of course, I need... Yeah, of course, I need to go to my uh, lumber lumber supplier and see what they have as far as some turning blanks. And if I can get, you know, decent price on some decent turning blanks, then I may just do, you know, your standard lidded box. But we'll see. Um, but I want to get this uh, started and, you know, at least finished by the first week of December, which means uh, I'll be lucky if I get it done by the third week of December. Yeah, you got yeah. two week two weeks to your yeah. original date there. Yeah, um, if you do it like uh, you know, I did small lidded boxes, I, and not like cute lidded boxes, real very square crude lidded boxes, um, and then I did bowls the year after, mm. and, but on purpose because I was working with what I could find. Yeah. It was all they, there was a set of five, but they were all different. Mm-hmm. Every every one of them. There was no consistency between them, and I just I swapped woods. I did I did mitered keyed, you know, on, yeah. on, on this little crude box, and the miter the keys were all different woods. They didn't necessarily match what was in the lid or anything like that. It was just kind of a menagerie, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I've fun. done all kinds of presents throughout the years, but I think the the boxes I've made seem to get the uh, the best reception. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I made. Um, um, you know Spagnolo's uh, mirror that he did the yeah, green, the green, green ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did those, and those got a really good uh, reception. But that's a lot of work, <laughs> sure. especially when you're batching out like four or five of these things. So, um, but uh, but no, I'm th- I'm thinking about doing the the turn boxes. Um, but you know, we'll see what happens. There you go. So, what about you, Sean? So I've recently dipped my toe into high-powered rocketry. High-powered mm. rocketry. Let me let me walk that back. Um, my oldest son is in an engineering course in high school, and uh, when I went to the open house, it was described to us from the teacher as "Welcome to my junior-level aerospace engineering course." I went, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. So, in the process of his schooling so far, in the first semester of school. He uh, was instructed to build and learn about uh, the construction of a high-powered model rocket. This is beyond your Estes kits that you did when you were a kid. Um, in that, a couple weekends ago, I wa- watched his rocket burst out of sight, go through the clouds. The coolest little, like, it was an overcast day, and this thing just went, woo, and popped right through the clouds, and it was gone. It went almost 3,000 feet in the air. On an engine that would not fit in a beer bottle, <laughs> like wow. like legitimately cool stuff, and it it is it's scratching an itch that I didn't know I needed to scratch. <laughs> 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 but uh, I was telling Kyle earlier i I've got a I've got a rocket that's almost as tall as me on order that I'll be constructing. Wow! Uh, some yeah, I mean it sounds big. It it ends up being not much more than plywood and cardboard. Um, but it's to get the certification to be able to throw out bigger and bigger explodable things. So it'll be interesting. 
So will it be a modern rod rocketry association? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but it's actually kind of interesting. So I, I got onto this forum and all this other stuff. About oh, I'm sure it. there are and podcasts and everything about this. Kind I of would imagine. I haven't found yeah. any just yet. Um, but there's there's the the uh, the the activity has been uh, since the space age like since the late mm-hmm. 50s there has been model rocketry right and oh, yeah. and it's gone it's gone to this level of enormous enthusiasm in small small groups mm-hmm. um there is a like winter chair making it is very much yes. so um they there is a annual thing they call balls uh, and it's something about ballistic large something. <laughs> Seriously. Um, uh, I completely believe you. I just think it's music. Yeah, but it's in the Black Rock, in Black Rock, Nevada, which is basically just off the side of Death Valley. It's mm. just some big ass dry lake bed um, where they like legitimately talk the car, they touch the Carmen line with, with amateur rockets, which is this a level in the atmosphere. Not, okay, not to worry about. I was going like, to oh, ask you to remember that, you know, we're woodworkers and have no idea what the Carmen line is. Right. It's, it's way up there. Um, but anyway, so like that stuff is going on. And, and then like where we went with my son was like a two and a half hour drive away. And there's this, these Joe Schmoes that show up in a farmer's field, but they're, they're pulling out their bag of tricks. And it's, it's, it's incredibly cool. Uh, one of those just kind of exhilarating experiences that, uh, it's going to be interesting, but I was, Oh, so anyway, on the forums, I was, um, I've been looking at like these build threads and people do very detailed instructions and, and, and kind of follow along things. And, uh, I was excited to see a guy pull out a hand plane to, to taper his wings, you know? And I was like, Oh, I said, I've got a whole bank of that stuff. Like, this is perfect. Cause I mean, when the wing is like the size of your face, you, mm-hmm. you know, you can take it to a belt sander, but I've got a, I've got a hand plane. I've got many hand planes. I can, I'm gonna I'm gonna fancy this stuff up. Could uh, be fun. Could, could you turn the rocket body? Um, I could turn the nose. Yeah, I don't know if I could turn a hollow yeah. form that's that long. I, I, does that, the whole thing need to be? It needs to be really thin too. Yeah. Well, because you eventually get into you. The, the, you need the space for the motor. You need expansive yeah. space for the Charge. recovery. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, the parachutes or whatever is in there. And then when you get up to the super high stuff, because you don't want it to just pop a parachute out like your typical thing, because if you're a mile high in the sky, it's going to take forever to come down. Mm-hmm. You you give it some smaller recovery and then have technology inside to then put out a secondary recovery that will actually, so say, descend to 700 feet and then put the big parachute out and then fall from there. Is that just so, a little man inside? Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> they, they they call them uh, eBay's or nav bays, and it ends up being telemetry, little little microchips and and black powder charges that start mm-hmm. throwing stuff. So it gets. I'm sure you could put a little camera. I mean, I used to. I mean, back oh, in the yeah. day, the the epitome of the Estes rockets was the one that had the camera that would take like one photograph. And I'm sure oh, now, yeah. now, now you mean, got all, all kinds of crap. The size of the one I'm getting, I yeah. can put like four GoPros in. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Get panor- panoramic shots. Um, and that's yeah. the thing. These motors, they produce hundreds of thousands or hundreds of pounds of thrust. So when you're putting something in there that weighs, you know, you put I'm, the thing I build that's going to be as tall as me, it might weigh six or seven pounds. It's not going to be hugely mm-hmm. heavy 
but then I'm going to put a motor on that can lift a hundred pounds. So it goes boom and it's gone. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. That is amazingly light. Well, it's, it's cardboard and plastic and wood. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's not, not aluminum at that, at that size. Nope. Nope. Not at all. Mm. Not at all. My, um, the one my son built was, uh, was, uh, why can't I think of it? It's not carbon fiber, uh, a fiberglass, a fiberglass tube. Okay. So it's basically just a, a resin tube, um, and fully loaded with its motor and everything. It weighed a thousand grams, which was what, like two and a half pounds. And it, the, the thing is almost four feet tall, about two and a half inches in diameter. And the motor on it sent it 2,800 feet in the air. You know, How just, do they know it's 2,800 feet? Are you, are you monitoring from the ground or there's a, there's a no, measurement they put inside? An, they have an altimeter in it okay. to, uh, to, to measure that. Say, so then you get all these thrust curves and it gets very scientific. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a hobby like any other hobby. Uh, mm-hmm. As I've been talking about, people asking me, I said, it's like anything. You can get into it for like the, the inexpensive price of like $500. And, and then every little thing that you find that you want to try or do is going to cost you a minimum of $50, you know, every step of the way. Right. So it's a bowling league, that, you know, or it's <laughs> in any, it's a hobby. It's, it's right. just another, another, another distraction. Um, thankfully, it's going to allow me to use some of the tools that I have in my workshop as I go along. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Well, do these folks know the actual price and value of a hand plane? Oh, probably <laughs> not. Probably not at all. Hey, here's an opportunity for you. Right. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's, I'm curious. <laughs> go ahead. Curiously, what um, when do you have to start dealing or what altitudes do you have to start dealing with like the FAA and like you know, calling somebody before you start to shoot these things off. Right. So, so for this is the NAR, which I don't know what that stands for. It's the National Association of Rocketry, if I guess, um, is one of the the associations of of hobbyist uh, high powered rocketry. They the reason I drove two and a half hours to go do this because I could have gone to any football field in the in the area and put up an, a rocket that I got at the hobby store. Um, they went to this place where a local group had had submitted and had an approved waiver from the FAA to have clearance for a window of five hours to ten or twelve thousand feet. Wow! On the field they were on, so yes, you That's very cool. you have to. But so it's it, it, it's neat in that way. So like these clubs, they have mm, biweekly meetings around here. They they only can do it between harvest. <laughs> and planting in the spring so their season is the winter um because in the summer the fields they need are all some farmer's field um and then it's the you know for the elevation you need and that's the one reason that that festival is out in black rock that's the one of the only places i believe in the united states that you can get above a hundred thousand feet clearance from the faa because wow. these guys are putting and at that point yes they're made of metal you know, they're, they're serious machines. Um, but when you're going up that high, I mean, it's, it's legitimate. I mean, at, at 3000 feet, you're going to get in the way of domestic flights and you can do that. My son can do that. And he's 16. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the reality of it. It's like, yeah, it, it's, and then for, for reason, for good reason. I mean, he's considered a junior because he's under 18. He can't, he can't buy a motor, personally unless it's at a sanctioned event 
Really? And, yeah, because they're considered controlled explosives. Mm-hmm. So uh, you actually go to the VIN and you buy your motor there. Yeah. So yeah. when okay. the way the way he did it, the teacher provided the one that he was being tested on. But while we were there, I bought one. I paid for one with mm-hmm. his certification, but we were not allowed to leave the pres the, the place with it. We had to mm-hmm. use it. <laughs> Or give it to give it to some other person that had the the rights to hold it. Mm. Yeah, and it's not they're not volatile, you know. Yeah. They're yeah, I mean yeah. you didn't have to like not scuff your feet or anything around them, but but uh, they're uh, it's very interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, it's it's a whole other you know nook that you can get into if you really want to 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 look into what is you know the, the next level the next step up from from what you see in the hobby store or did when you were a kid or, or with scouts or anything like that. I mean, I did this stuff in physics class in high school and with my dad growing up and, you know, that's neat and all, but <laughs> there's, there's a whole nother level to it. Well, this is fascinating. So uh, <laughs> the rocketry podcast is coming up soon. <laughs> yes. Very soon. Do you think very Kyle's soon. jig would help the rocket fly straighter or at a specific well, I, I, time? I'm starting to think about jigs, you know, <laughs> they, they got to get those fins mounted on the tubes just correctly. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, you know, I, I, I can draw up a guide as I did today for fin alignment in CAD, print that oh. on cardboard and cut it out and it works just fine. <laughs> So yeah, there's there's uh, an economy uh, that you need to pay attention to, but exactly, exactly, and I'm sure I'd be. Never mind. Uh, well, <laughs> moving right along. So, Bob, um, what are you working on? Hopefully, it's something to do with boating. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's nothing as exciting as explosives. I'll tell you that much. Um, <laughs> we are. Uh, for the most part, I haven't done too much actual woodworking in terms of, you know, furniture or anything like that in the shop. Um, I have, have been working on the shop itself and, uh, we've been for the last three years building a, uh, a, a log cabin on our property. So mm-hmm. that's pretty much taken up just about all of my time. Um, lately it's been, um, you know, making custom door jams and, uh, hanging doors and, uh, you know, lots of real nasty, dusty router work right. and, and stuff that you would not associate me with. So that, oh, that's I was the about kind to ask, of, ask you that, about that. How much of that are you doing power only or hand tool only or combination, or is it just, I'm just powering everything. So, I'm using hand tools when it makes more sense. Okay. Um, but I'm not doing it because I'm enjoying the process at, at this point. We just want right. to get this thing done and, mm. and move into it. So, yeah. um, you know, whatever makes the most sense to get the job done, the, the fastest is kind right. of uh, where this has gone. So, so if something's not the, quite uh, square, I can take a hand plane and take a little bit off. Exactly. And, yeah. Well, that right. Makes- yeah. But make no mistake, you know, every one of those door jams and every one of those doors was uh, the hinge mortises and the, the latch plate mortises. Uh, that was all done with a Bosch Colt. So there <laughs> there was no uh, there was no chisel work going on there. Mm-hmm. Use what works. That's right. That's right. That's right. And uh, now Bob is doing nothing but power tool woodworking from here on out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Made the it's, it's been 
an awful lot of it. It's been so, an awful lot of it, that's for so, sure. So did you end up having to buy, um, you know, I assume you, you, you routers and, you know, powered miter saw and those kind of things. Did you buy table saw or band saw or anything like that? Um, I, I do have a table saw that I, I got a couple of years ago, primarily. Okay. So, so we bought that to do the staircases because we mm-hmm. built all custom staircases. Um, and I really did not feel like ripping down. I, I don't know. I think it ended up somewhere in the neighborhood uh, of about 25. Actually, if you if you count the risers, uh, it's probably closer to the neighborhood of 50 um, solid hickory stair treads and risers that all had to be ripped down. And that wasn't something that I was, I was about to do by hand. Not that I couldn't, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I wanted to get this job done. So, so we, I did get table saw. It was just a, uh, you know, your, your big box store, special contractor saw, nothing crazy. I didn't get a job site saw cause I, I just, I don't like them. Right. Um, so I, I did splurge on the full size contractor saw, but um, you know it, it has come in handy. We um, we went out and and priced kitchen cabinets, and for for what we wanted, um, we were looking at you know easily fifteen to twenty thousand dollars for the cabinets, mm. um, and that there was just no way you know that I was going to spend that kind of money knowing that I could build them myself. So um, you know, so the table saw came in handy for that as well you know we built mm-hmm. built all the cabinet boxes for the kitchen and the bathrooms and um so you know work that i'm familiar with not not my favorite type of work to do but mm-hmm. um oh understandable so when you're building the kitchen cabinets um you know i assume they were plywood boxes did you use a pre-finished plywood or did you finish those after the fact it wasn't pre-finished. Now I um, I don't have a whole lot of choices down here for for plywood. So I I ended up getting most of my cabinet plywood from the the big box stores. Okay. Um, there's not a whole lot in terms of suppliers mm. that's too close to me. I, I've got to drive a good ways for for pre-finished plywood. I think the closest place is probably uh, um, Steve Wall in uh, in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. which is probably a good two hour drive at least from, from where yeah. I'm at. So, uh, um, you know, yeah. so, we, so we just went with the big box plywood, the, uh, I think we used the, whatever home Depot carries the pure bond, the Georgia Pacific stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah. It worked I out. Stu- I bought stuff from, from them, you know, plywood, just random plywood. And it's actually fairly decent. I think it depends on where you live. A lot of, a lot of, cases because i know some of the big box stores get a lot of uh uh comments on their plywood negative comments on their plywood but i think it i think a lot of it depends on where you live and what manufacturers are accessing yeah i think the manufacturer has a lot to do with it because we bought the first stuff we bought came from lowe's and we brought it home and we, you know, we put it in the, in the shed and I mean, it stunk. I mean, this was, this had to be, I don't know if it's the new glues that they're using, you know, mm-hmm. since the formaldehyde regulations or what, but typically less volatility. Um, it smelled. Yeah. And it, it, I mean, it, it really stunk. It actually, the people in the, in Lowe's were complaining about the stink and they didn't know where it was coming from. And we found out as soon as we brought 
this plywood home where the stink was coming from. Um, and it, it, it smelled like rotten fish. And it Ooh. just, I mean, it stunk wow. for, the, it stunk up the whole shed. We actually took the plywood back because it smelled so bad. There was no way I was bringing this stuff in the house. Right. Uh, wow. So we, we actually took the plywood back and, and went to Home Depot and got the Pure Bond stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, I don't know who this manufacturer was that Lowe's, this this particular Lowe's store was using, but mm-hmm. um, but it was bad. I mean, it, it really smelled horrible. Kind of like, you wonder if it just some raccoon took a took a leak on it in the yard or or if it was part of the manufacturing process and, uh, it, i really think it was the glues because every yeah, like every crazy. panel we had probably about 15 panels and every panel smelled like that and it didn't go away you know plywood usually has that kind of smell mm-hmm. you know when it's new mm-hmm. and it usually kind of goes away after a little while but this we had it for a good week and it just the smell did not go away it didn't get it didn't lessen at all it just it stunk so we we actually took the plywood back i've never taken lumber back before we actually took the plywood back to the store because its smell was so bad yeah that's amazing it's it's different but it's the same in that the uh the adhesives we use at work doing uh commercial roofing we went through a voc regulation change that's probably now five years ago and the high VOC adhesives we used to use had a distinct odor to them, but it was very fleeting and it wasn't terrible and it was what it was. And when they switched to the low VOC adhesives, it smelled so much worse. I, it, it was mm. hard to believe that, um, that it smelled as bad as it did. And we got so many more customer complaints about the smell. And it's like, no, this is the low VOC stuff the state's making us use now. Um, it's not actually less toxic for you than stuff you didn't smell before. But it it smelled so bad. Mm. Well, what well, with that, Bob? So yeah, um, I could I could talk about the, the low VOC stuff, but <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. So anyway, so uh, Bob, before we get into to your um, um, the interview, so so to speak, portion of our show, tell us a little bit about your background for uh, folks who are unfamiliar with you. So I actually, uh, I grew up in, in New Jersey. Well, I was born out West and I grew up in mm-hmm. New Jersey. And, uh, in terms of my woodworking, I really got started, um, in high school, I would say is, is, I mean, I, I, I really got into it when I was younger, but the first opportunity that I really had to do a lot of woodworking was in high school, mm-hmm. uh, when high school still had shop programs, um, and, uh, and that's kind of where it all started from. And, and I really got into it, believe it or not, from, uh, from Norm Abrams, from New Yankee workshop. Um, I didn't have any, I didn't have anybody in my family that really did any woodworking. Um, I did have a, a friend whose father was a woodshop teacher for a local high school, but, um, you know, we were too busy doing other stuff. I didn't really do any woodworking with his father. Um, it was really through through my high school that I got into it and through and uh, with the influence of Norm Abram. So um, it's kind of ironic where I ended up. Yeah. So starting I was about out to say, kind do, you, of, do you have a Brad now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do, actually. I think I have several. Yes. 
Yeah. But, <laughs> I, I, I bet now, yeah, you've got probably a quite assortment of nail guns and whatnot. Oh yeah, I've got plenty of stuff now. You would you would never know that uh, that I use hand planes if you look in my garage right now. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I went up through high school. I, I took a couple of years of uh, of shop in high school and um, actually won a couple of awards for some of the stuff that I built in high school. Um, uh, that does college, surprise me. I went. I said, I was about yeah, to say, well, that, that, that really doesn't surprise me knowing uh, uh, some of your projects here always been incredible. Well, I, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. But the, the funny thing is the folks that as we were having the, the craft show, the uh, the the art fair or whatever they called it in, in high school, um, folks would come around and, and talk about how much, you know, the pieces looked store bought, which, you know, then was flattering. <laughs> now it's kind of like, no, well, that's an insult now. Like, you know, don't, don't tell me it looks like it was store bought. Cause that's, uh, that's not what I'm going for. But, no. um, but yeah. Yeah. So, so college, I, I didn't really do too much woodworking in college. Um, uh, I I lived on campus and, you know, I, I didn't really have too much opportunity to do much of it. But um, after I graduated college and uh, started working and, and met my my who's now my wife, um, we had bought a house um, to to renovate. It was a, a HUD foreclosure and we bought it and gutted it and we're renovating it. And, um, you know, I built the shop at, in the garage at that house and. Um, that was around the time when I started discovering hand tools mm-hmm. and, uh, it actually came from a, a trip to Williamsburg where, um, my wife and I had, had taken a little vacation for a few days down to Williamsburg. And I spent a lot of time in the, in the, uh, Anthony Hay shop in Williamsburg and the, uh, and in the joiner shop talking to a lot of the guys in there and just watching them work and watching what they were doing. And it was just fascinating to watch them, um, work the way that they were. And, uh, and that really kind of got me interested in, in the whole hand tools side of things. Um, so I spent a lot of that time after those trips to Williamsburg, um, collecting tools, tuning up old tools, learning how to use old tools. And, uh, and just trying to do as much as I could uh, with hand tools to learn those skills that I, I was watching these guys, uh, these guys demonstrate uh, in the shops down in Williamsburg. And uh, it was probably, I don't know, a couple years later, I had the power tools. I had a, a table saw and, uh, you know, some some of that stuff mm-hmm. in, in the shop. But. I really was trying not to use it as I was learning how to use the hand tools. Um, and then it was, you know, it was probably a few years later, maybe early two thousands when I finally just broke down and, and just sold the table saw and sold the, uh, uh, the band saw and all the, for the most part, most, I, w- I won't say all, but most of the machines right. and the power tools that I had, I, I sold them and really just focused on, on working by hand and, um, you know, that's kind of where I ended up for, for a good number of years. Yeah. Bob, at that point, were you more building for pleasure than for need? You know, were you were basically done renovating the house. Was that part of the ability to lose the power tools? It was. So, you know, the, the, the stuff that I was building was smaller furniture. It was one-off pieces. Um, I don't, 
tend to use plywood when I build furniture or, mm-hmm. or smaller projects. So I felt like, like I didn't really have um, I didn't really have a big need for a table saw because I, I really wasn't breaking down large sheet goods. I wasn't building cabinets, you know, or, or anything like that where I was going to make multiple rips to the same dimensions. So I really wasn't, I, I didn't feel like I was missing the table saw in the type of things that I was building. So, um, you know, it was something that really didn't take a whole lot of thought for me, you know, after not using it for a year or two um, and not missing it. It really wasn't a big deal. Um, you know, I kept, I had a small benchtop drill, pa- drill press that I kept um, mm-hmm. that only recently was replaced. Um, I've had a chop saw for Lord knows how long. It, it's it's an old craftsman that's probably, uh, at this point, it's got to be at least 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of still works we're you know we're using it <laughs> we're using it on the on the on the house now but you know the the break is shot and um yeah. you know it's it's one of those tools that i use it because i have to but i can't stand using it because of the, just the dust that it throws and mm-hmm. i mean my whole garage is just covered in dust from ceiling to floor because of this one tool so it's it's one of those tools that i use because i have to but i really hate using it Right, right. Yeah. So um, did you um, have a planer? Did you uh, or not? Did you get rid of a did you did you have a planer before? And if so, did you get rid of it or did you keep that? I did have a planer um, when I, I had the um, what is it? The 734, the the, the lower model DeWalt. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's the 734. So I had that one. That was my the, my pretty much the first planer that I bought and it was the one I used for several years. Um, but when I moved, when we moved from, um, that, the, well, actually we, we had the house that we renovated, we sold that house and moved to Pennsylvania and bought new construction and stayed there for maybe a year and a half, two years. And then ended up after we had my first daughter, we moved back to New Jersey. Um, and, when I moved into that house, um, I had a garage there, but it wasn't insulated, wasn't climate controlled. And I really, I was kind of, at that point, I was you pretty much just using hand tools. Um, and I was kind of debating whether I wanted to use the garage space and keep the few power tools that I had left. I, I had a joiner. I had the the DeWalt planer. Mm-hmm. Um, the joiner was just a, a six-inch rigid Um Mm-hmm. And, but we had this extra room that was kind of attached to our family room and, um, it wasn't big enough to have any machines in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and really we didn't want the machines inside the house anyway. And my, my, we kind of decided we wanted to try maybe have a garage that we could actually park a car in, um, which <laughs> I know is blasphemy, but, um, still never. So, so I said, well, you know, Right. So I'm not using these tools for the most part. Maybe I use the joiner and a planer from time to time, but the, t- you know, the table saw is gone. The bandsaw is gone. Um, I can set up a really nice shop in this little room connected to the family room, be a hand tool shop, make it really nice. So I ended up selling the joiner and the planer as well. So that was probably around 
2002, 2003, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And so from pretty much from that time on, you know, I had your, your home improvement power tools out in the garage, you know, the circular saw and the jigsaw and the drills and stuff like that. But um, there really were no more woodworking machines or power tools from that point um, just until really just the last couple of years. Yeah. So is, is that the room when you first started doing your videos that was your shop? Yep. That's it. So that's it. Okay. That, that little shop started, that's where the, the blog, because, because and, I remember, and I mean, I channel was kind of started from, yeah, I was fascinated with your, with your earlier videos. It was great, but I, I still, I was still like, this guy's doing woodworking in a walk-in closet. <laughs> I, I remember Pretty when much. you were, when yeah, you that's, were building that's about your, what it was. Yeah. And that Nicholson bench you built and it was like, dude, that is like right. Just it's, and I just, I could recognize how super tight the room was. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. Cause I, you know, my it little was. area here is like 12 by 13 and I think it's really small, but I have a feeling that that was even smaller. It was, yeah, it was about, it was seven and a half by 13, I think. <laughs> so it was, it was just under a hundred square feet. Wow. Diami, your, your garage seems huge right now, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, it was a space that I couldn't yeah. have fit a machine if I wanted to, right? No, so sure. It kind of, once I was in that space, I really didn't have a choice. Like I was in it, you know, I like it or not, I was going at this hand tool thing. Yeah. But you made some great projects in that space. I mean, that just goes to show you, uh, yeah, it's definitely not the space you have. It's the dedication you have to the craft. So for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, you can, you know, sometimes you, I would have to move some things out of the way in order to be able to work on stuff. You know, if the project was a little bit bigger, but um, you kind of, you just kind of find a way, right? You mm-hmm. know, if you want to build something bad enough, you just kind of, you find a way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's great. So, you know, that took you into that realm and that's, I guess that's when you really started getting known in the, in the community. Um you know, I was fortunate to to meet you at one of the woodworking in, in Americas, and uh, I you were part of the uh, the winning team of the first ever hand tool Olympics mm-hmm. um, that I happened to be a part That's of. Right. With uh, I, I, I think I I mastered the boring, and I let you and Shannon take care of all the rest of the of it and i kind of rode on the coattails there but uh unfortunately that was before they started giving out prizes and i'm still a little po'd about that but anyway <laughs> needless well to you say, still got the bragging rights exactly we have the bragging rights but um and that's why i never entered another hand to olympics because hey i was already champion once <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly exactly time to retire but um but well, and I guess work- technically Shannon and I weren't really allowed to win anyway, right? Because we were, we were sort of working there, so well, yeah, we couldn't really. We weren't really allowed to work it to to win anything anyway. So yeah, <laughs> but you know, it's a thought that counts. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. uh, so, so that's when you really started getting known in the community, and uh, and you really became a con 
content creator. So walk us through that that process of, of you. Okay, so you moved in this house, you set up your workshop, and you wanted to share this. So, um, you know, I really haven't heard that side of the story about um, how you got involved. Do you start, you know, yeah, so producing I, videos? So I set up- you, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. I, uh, you know, once I I had the shop set up and, um, you know, it was about the time that blogs were really kind of starting to become a thing. I mean, maybe I guess maybe they already kind of were a thing. Um, Mm. I might have been a little bit late to that. But um, but what I was reading, there weren't really a whole lot of blogs that were really dedicated to handwork. And about that time, I think uh Christopher Schwartz had had written a post that essentially said, um, you know, if you would work, just start a blog, just do it. Like it, 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 the post was something along those lines. Um, so I said, you know, what the hell, you know, we'll, we'll give it a try and we'll see, like, you know, I enjoy writing and, and, and sharing this kind of stuff. So, you know, I've been doing this hand thing for, you know, seven or eight years now, we'll give it a try. So I started the blog in 2008 mm-hmm. Um, and I just started writing about, you know, what I was doing, the tools I was tuning up, how I was using them, um, and kind of how I was learning along the, along the way, because, um, you know, this was before a lot of, um, a lot of the, the new books had come out, you know, Rubo wasn't reprinted yet. Nicholson wasn't reprinted yet. The Moxon book wasn't reprinted yet. So a lot of the information from, those old sources that mm-hmm. I had learned about from the guys in Williamsburg and and from a couple other folks that I had talked to about this kind of stuff, um, a lot a lot of that hadn't been shared yet. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I thought, well, you know, this is the type of stuff that people might want to know about. So, you know, let's let's start writing about you know how this stuff used to be done and and what are the sources for learning about how this stuff used to be done. And that's kind of where the blog started. Um, and from there, I had seen um, some of uh, Mark Spagnolo's stuff on his Wood Whisperer channel was just a couple of years old at that right. time. Um, but again, you know, what I had seen in terms of video was nobody's doing hand tools with this stuff. Mm. Um, even I think Shannon at the time, Shannon had started making videos maybe six months six to eight months before I did. But at that time he was doing a lot of stuff still, you know, using the machines and turning and and things like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So a lot of his earlier stuff was like that. And there wasn't really anybody that was just making videos that was doing nothing except handwork. So it was about a year after I started the blog that I started making the videos, just doing stuff by hand. Um, And for whatever reason, it kind of caught on. And, and I think a, a part of it is because there just weren't a lot of people making videos, woodworking videos at the time, right? YouTube wasn't really a big thing. I think. Right. When did yeah. YouTube come around? Like 2007 or 2008? Like it was really, yeah, really was... young at that time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And we were all on, um, what was it, Blip TV or something like that. Um, you know, it, it was a different video host altogether. Right. None of us were even on YouTube yet. And, uh, 
you know, it, it just kind of caught on. And I think it was because there just wasn't that much content out there at the time, especially in video form. You didn't really have too many choices. You know, there was Matt Vanderlist, there was Mark, there was Shannon, myself. And, you know, if Pop Wood was or, or Fine Woodworking happened to put out a couple of videos, that's about all you really had. There weren't too many other people making woodworking videos at the time. So honestly, I think I don't think it was so much the content. I think it was just that there just wasn't really that much. And I was in the right place at the right time. And that's why a lot of it kind of mm-hmm. caught on, um, you know, and and as as it got more popular and as you know the the old video host kind of i like to say that they essentially kind of kicked us all off um Mm -hmm. of of their uh their servers because they wanted to go in a different direction Mm -hmm. so they were essentially told us they were going to shut our channels down if we didn't move our stuff so Mm -hmm. uh from there we all kind of ended up on youtube right and uh and it it just kind of went from there and uh you know from from the blog and and the videos um, Christopher Schwartz actually reached out to me, I guess it was 2010. Um, at that time, Adam Carabini had been writing, a, a arts and mysteries column for pop, Popwood magazine. Right. And, uh, he needed to take some time away from the column. You know, it was just a few months that he wasn't going to be able to write the column. So Chris had reached out to me to see, you know, did I think I could fill in and write a few articles for them uh, to fill in for that um, that time that Adam was going to be away or not able to to write articles? So I ended up getting um, writing three articles for the magazine at that point, you know, for that for that column, um, and that kind of sparked my relationship with the folks at Popular Woodworking and, and, you know, Chris and Megan and, uh, and Glenn and, and all the folks that were, were there at the time. Um, and it kind of just snowballed from there, I guess, you know, the, the blog kept going and the videos kept going for a couple of years. Um, and I would write for the magazine every so often and, and, uh, you know, do the hand tool Olympics at, uh, <laughs> at Woodworking in America and, yeah, and I guess that's kind of kind of the story behind it all. You know, it's uh, I, I think I was just in the right place at the right time, really. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot to say about that, but I, I, I think your presentation and and how thorough you are and um, and it, it's great. I mean, it's it's fantastic. Your videos, your writing, everything is just like it's easy to follow. Yeah. It's and it's it's engaging i mean that's that's one of the things you know i want to say it is very engaging so i appreciate all your work in that unfortunately you gave up your podcast this year that was a major downer to us podcast enthusiasts but i understand your your reasons and in fact in preparation for uh this interview tonight i finally listened to the um, final episode yesterday because i didn't want to but i finally did (laughs) uh but uh Anyway, so tell us about what you're up to now and uh, and uh, what's going on. You know, I know you want to, you know, refocus your efforts, so to speak, um, as that final podcast was titled um, on on doing things that that you're really engaged with. So tell us a little bit about what you got upcoming. Yeah, so, I mean. At this point, you know we're we're trying to finish the cabin. Um, mm-hmm. We've got a had a couple of setbacks, um, you know, with with 
our our wood stove they ordered the wrong chimney pipe and stove pipe a couple of times or, or not enough of it so uh we're waiting for that to get finished but once that's done you know i think we're pretty much we're, we're finished enough with the cabin that we should be able to get our co and move in and then i can mm-hmm. finish the rest of it once we're there so so really for the you know the last couple months it's really been uh full steam ahead just trying to do everything that we can to get this cabin done before the winter because I really don't want to pay to heat two houses. Um, <laughs> yes, I can so, imagine. And, you know, with, with the water being run, run up to the cabin and the, the hardwood floors in and everything, you know, I can't, I really can't leave, leave it without heat. So, um, so we're, we've really just been trying to, to get all that done and, you know, finishing up kitchen cabinet installs and uh, trim work. And as I, I was mentioning to you guys earlier, the, the, the doors, you know, everything in the, in a cabin, unfortunately, because of the, the materials is all custom. So, you know, all my door jams are custom size because, you know, in, in a normal house, you've got two by four walls with half inch drywall. Well, these are either two by four or two by six walls, but you've got three quarter inch tongue and groove on either side. Mm-hmm. So a standard door jam isn't isn't big enough to cover that. So all my door jams are custom. So I had to build all the door jams and hang all the doors myself. So so that's kind of been my focus the last couple of months, just trying to get that done to, to move in. Um, I've mm-hmm. it, it's a ton of work. It, it really is. And um, so that's kind of why the, the blog has been kind of empty recently and, and Instagram hasn't been much, but you know, the occasional cabin post. Um, I have also met um a couple times with the the uh, the folks at the the school that I occasionally teach at um over here down the down the road from me in in Galax Virginia um it's the the Chestnut Creek School of the Arts and they're a, a non-profit school with a a beautiful full wood shop um that in my opinion is really underutilized mm. you know they have classes in there from time to time but um really not as much as they could. I, I, I don't think it's, you know, really at its potential. So um, I've had some some discussions with them about some classes that I had some ideas for. And um, I'm hoping maybe next year we can do a series of classes um, that I've, I'm trying to develop with them That's cool. um, on well, different hand tool skills. Mm-hmm. Um, so what kind of so we'll is see it? how is that it? goes. Um, well, what kind of wood shop is it? Is it a, um, uh, power tool, hand tool combo hybrid type thing or what, or whatever you want to make it? Yeah, it, it's primarily a, a machine shop. I would okay. say, um, I spent some time a couple of years ago, uh, when I first got involved with them trying to get more hand tools into the shop and, and we've gotten there gradually. Of course, there's still more because there's, you know, there's just certain tools that we don't have enough of. There's six workbenches, but they're, that was going to be my the, question. The little small, yeah, they have six workbenches, but they're the small, um, the the Swedish workbenches that you get at Woodcraft, like the little mm-hmm. five footers or, or whatever. They're they're real flimsy, you know. They're they're not real stable for handwork. So, um, you know, we we may need to work on that a little bit. Um, 
we don't really have enough hand tools that if we run a hand tool only class in there that every student could have access to a full set of tools. Um, So with certain things, there would be some sharing going on. And that kind of makes things difficult when you're trying to go through a class. You really don't want people standing around waiting for tools. So um, there's some, but there's there's not quite enough to do a full-on hand tool only class. I tried it a couple times. Um, a few years ago, I did a, a candle box class there. Um, and un- it, unfortunately we limited it to one, one day we did it on, on a single Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't go too bad, but I think we were a little am- ambitious with, um, what we tried to get done, especially like I had them plow all the grooves with a plow plane and the only plow plane in the class was mine. Oh, which made things a little challenging, yeah. right? So people are standing around waiting for tools and, and that really slows things down. Um, you know, so there, there's just things like that. We kind of have to work through and, and figure out to, in order to run these classes. And I think it, uh, a single day was a little ambitious as well. It probably would have been better as a, a two day weekend class. So things like that, that I've been trying to work with them on uh, different concepts, different types of classes that we can do is um, hopefully a series and of like weekend classes where we'll run a Saturday and Sunday, uh, maybe once a month over like six months or something like that. And, you know, we'll work on different, different skills, different hand skills in each one of those classes. And Mm -hmm. then maybe at the end kind of put it all together into one big project. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. So, uh, yeah. So, um, so your plans for the future are doing more of those classes. Now, are you going to do any, uh, additional writing, um, you know, videos and stuff? I noticed in the past couple of months, you've been coming out with some, you know, short form videos on specific co- topics. And by the way, I need some in kennel, uh, gouges, but, um, that's a different story. <laughs> Everybody needs kennel Yes, actually, about yeah, when everybody you first should start, have panel gouges. But. Yeah, when you first started uh, promoting those, I went, "Yeah, that's nice." And I was at a show, and there was this antique dealer there, and he had a full set of, I want to say. They were D.R. Barton in candle gouges. I don't know if they made them, but that seems to be in the back of my mind is one of the reasons I want them because of Barton name on them. But (laughs) um, I just wanted a couple of them, but he wouldn't break up the set. And I think he wanted like 350 for the entire set. And that's just like, that's a little much. And now after, you know, hearing you talk about it on the podcast, you know, you'd talked about it before and that's what hit me to them. Um, but now if you talk to them, uh, more about it and release some of the videos, I'm like, I probably should have paid the three fifty for those. <laughs> well, depending on the size of the set, I mean, yeah, it, it was a complete set. It was problem- like, yeah, yeah. It was like about seven, seven or eight of them. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's probably, that's probably pretty pretty reasonable for a set of eight gouges. Uh, But I don't think you really need eight. Mm. Right. I, yeah, that's what I thought really only ever used four. So yeah, I've I've really only ever used four of them. So, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I think we got a bit of a lag, but yeah, yeah. That's what I thought too. I only needed probably 
two or three of them. And yeah, then that's when he said, nah, I wouldn't break up the set. I was like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That, that's one of the tools that I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Um, mm-hmm. They, they make concave work so much faster. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in a lot of cases they, you know, it may not be the finished surface, but um but you can get there so much faster, you know, with a, a lot of the work, especially, um, you know, if if your concave curves are, are long or, um, you know, sawing them can take a long time. But, you know, if you can pare away a whole bunch of that waste with a gouge and then just smooth it out, it it, uh, it really speeds the process up. In fact, I, I think in a lot of cases, depending on the complexity of the of the curve, um, I can make curves with those gouges and you know maybe a couple cuts with a handsaw a couple of relief cuts with a handsaw faster than you can do it on a bandsaw um and get to you know get to the same point um as you would off of your bandsaw faster than the bandsaw and then you know then you're just cleaning up the cuts so um you know definitely an underrated tool but but yeah you know i want to I haven't done too much with the blog or with the the videos lately because of what's been going on with the cabin, just trying to get in there. But I think once I'm, once we're in the cabin and, you know, I can get, uh, get all the, the routers and everything else put away from working on the house, um, and get to my workbench, then, uh, then I'd like to do some more, some more of that video, uh, videos. And, you know, one of the challenges has been that, um, my my laptop kind of blew up on me a few months ago, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I just haven't put in the effort to to get it fixed yet uh, or replace it. But um, you know, so that that's kind of where the the shorter form videos have come from because I've been able to at least do that kind of stuff from my phone. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'm done making videos. Um, you know, it's just going to be just trying to focus on the cabin right now. Well, I under, completely understand that, and I hope you're not done with the videos because uh, um, that's what really inspires me. I'm one of those people. I have a lot of books, and I do well with books, but I think I enjoy the videos a little bit more than the books sometimes. <laughs> I, I may be one of those people that learn better watching than reading, but, you know, I do like the reading too, but um, it's maybe I'm half and half. But with that... Um, um, let's get to our fortnightly beer choices. Sounds so, good. So, um, I guess I'll start us off here. And, uh, yes, Diami will appreciate this. I'm already jumping into the Christmas season. Mm. Well, it, it yeah. is, uh, you know, it's it, someday soon it might drop below 50 degrees. So, of course, it's exactly. Christmas <laughs> exactly. So, so one of the uh, brewing companies here in Texas, Carbach, which I'm a big fan of, um, they have the seasonal Yule Shoot Your Eye Out beer. Um, so uh, it's great. It's a, it's a nice uh, Christmas ale, and it's seasonal, and uh, Yule is spelled Y-U-L-E. So, um, of, course. of course. Of course. Of course. And it is does have Fragili on the side. So... <laughs> Anyway, so um, anyway, that's uh, that's my recommendation for this uh, uh, for this. So, uh, Diami, what are you drinking? 
I am enjoying uh, Sloop Brewing's Juice Bomb Northeastern IPA. It is a delightful, uh, juicy IPA. Um, it's not quite to the level that some of the, uh, the really, really good ones from Vermont are, but it's pretty damn close, and it's available pretty easily around here. So it is a good, solid choice for a nice, bright, juicy IPA. Nice. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna follow that uh, with Shorts, which is uh, like a Mid Michigan brewery. Uh, I'm drinking their Sticky Icky Icky IPA, which uh, has dank notes, as the name may uh, suggest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a it's a really solid, you know, mid level, not too terribly, you know, stripping IPA. Excellent. I I like it. Cool. So, Bob, what are you drinking tonight or recommending tonight? So I just finished up a and it's an eight ball stout from uh, Lost Coast Brewery. Uh, it's actually the, the last of a, uh, a, a mixed six pack that I got for my birthday from my sister in law. So uh, but she knows I, I tend to to like darker beers and mm-hmm. porters and the stouts and and this one uh definitely definitely worked pretty well it's a you know a little malty a little hoppy like a a good stout should be so cool cool so is that a nitro stout or just a regular stout no i think it just it's just just a standard oatmeal stout okay cool, cool. nice that's very nice Yes. So with that said, so, um, Bob, where can folks find you on the interwebs? So the easiest place to find me is going to be on my website. It's brfinewoodworking.com. And I am also brfinewoodworking on Instagram. Fantastic. Diami, what Uh, about you? Penultimatewoodshop.com, modernwoodworkersassociation.com. At Diami Plotky on uh, Twitter, at Penultimate Woodshop on Instagram, some social media platform that guys in Texas like, um, <laughs> and uh, Penultimate Beer on Untapped. Sean, what about yourself? I'm uh, the Corner Workshop. I'm at Sean W78 on most social medias, uh, including uh, Untapped, where we check in our beers. Kyle, how about you? matters and with that that just about wraps it up for this show so if you haven't already please subscribe to the show on the podcaster of your choice thank you for listening if you like the show be sure to visit the website the modern woodworkers association.com us on twitter at mwa underscore national or instagram on mwa underscore podcast if you happen to follow us on instagram you'll see the stories i post on recording night as to all the reasons why i'm running so late <laughs> Uh, so, so with that, get a table saw, get a plane, and just make something you enjoy. Like a cabin. Yeah. Or maybe something a little smaller. Yeah. <laughs>